You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. You are listening to Beyond the Fit, and this is your host, Holly Cotton. The purpose of this show is to go beyond just looking fit and to cover health and wellness topics to make sure that we all become the healthiest and strongest versions of ourselves inside and out. Today's show is going to be in honor of Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And I have a guest today that's coming on, and we're actually going to talk about how to navigate finding your daily peace, how to deal with mental health, and make sure that you are in the best mental health space that you can be. So I'm super excited because I actually have Kim Ali today, and she's a registered nurse, a mental health coach, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. And so we're going to have a really open and transparent conversation to bring awareness to these mental health topics that are so common in a minority population. So welcome, Kim. Hey, Holly. Thank you for having me. Nice meeting you, Kim. Everyone's super excited that you're here today. And I know people are already like, what did she say she was? A mental health what? And a diversity what? So so kind of explain to us what your roles are, how you became this mental health advocate, and what exactly diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant means. Sure. So I'm going to make a long story short. (laughs) So I had an opportunity to go overseas and open up a women and children's hospital. Um, Maternity health is my wheelhouse. I've been doing that for about 15 years now. So when I opened up the hospital, that was my first encounter with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the reason why I say that is because the goal of the hospital was to incorporate uh, a Western healthcare model. So this was in the Middle East and they practice Islam in the Middle East. So they wanted to introduce Western medicine while maintaining their cultural and religious customs. And so this was an amazing opportunity because my team and I were responsible for everything. We developed the policies, procedures, the standards of care. We did recruitment, workflows. We did everything, right? And what made us so successful is that we embedded diversity, equity, inclusion into everything, into the organizational strategies, employee benefits, and with patient care. And so I loved it. Unfortunately, there were some negatives to the situation as well. Applied for a position, and I'm sure most of you listening have had some form of experience with microaggression in the workplace. Unfortunately, I did not get the position. The position went to a white male. And so at that time, I knew it was time for me to move on to greener pastures, or so I thought. So ended up taking a position with a Fortune 500 uh, company who also had headquarters in uh, the Middle East. And a long story short, I lasted four months in that position and I was fired. It was a group of four Caucasian women. They all got together and they said that um, I was aggressive, that I threatened one of them. And then the final straw was that they accused me of stealing, right? And so that was their way of pushing me out of the organization. And so while this was happening, not only did I suffer mentally, but it impacted my physical health as well. I had anxiety, depression, sleep deprivation. And, you know, these are things that happen in the workplace that we don't talk about. So they fired me, relocated back to the States. And then two weeks later, 
my niece passed away. So you talk about major life changes, getting fired, right? Losing your support system, a death in the family, moving to another country. And so two days after my niece passed away, I had a heart attack in my 30s because of all of the stress that my body was under. And so at that time, I knew that I needed to do something, right? Because I was on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. And I couldn't afford to do that because I didn't have insurance. Remember, I'm not working. So in full transparency, I did go to a couple of therapists. And unfortunately, I didn't find a good fit. And the therapy sessions were not successful. And so I started researching. I've always been fascinated with resiliency. And why is it that some people can bounce back from adversity and come back stronger and wiser. And so that's when I became a mental health coach. I started researching and I love the curriculum. And as I was studying, I started applying those same principles into my life. And within weeks, Holly, I started to see positive changes in my life. And so I slowly started helping, you know, other friends on the side who needed support. So fast forward three months. Now we're into the pandemic and then the murder of George Floyd happened. And when that happened, Holly, I must have cried for maybe two, three days straight on and off because that was a trigger for me. It was a trigger for what happened to me in corporate America. And I don't know if you recall, that's that's when you slowly started to see more people talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I realized that I did not heal. I was just suppressing what happened to me. And so I had the opportunity to share my story with a small media company and it went viral. I had so many people reaching out to me saying, oh my God, you know, me too. I lost my job. I'm in therapy because of the toxic work environment. Um, I've attempted suicide because of all of the microaggression at the workplace. And so at that very moment, I knew that God put me in that position to you know, propel me forward, to give me the strength to advocate for other people who are afraid to speak up for themselves. And so that's where I'm at now. So now I am committed to helping leaders create diverse organizations so that all races can thrive. Wow, that is so awesome. And I think that a lot of times I say that, I think that something traumatic almost has to happen to you in order to push you to where your passion or finding your purpose is because we all kind of just walk along in life and are really complacent. We're thinking everything's okay. A lot of times people don't even want to get uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden something traumatic happens to you. I tell people all the time, you know, my traumatic thing was that I got cancer and I was like, what, what is this? <laughs> what is this going to mean? So it's always kind of like these things that happen in life that these obstacles show up. And then all of a sudden we come out on the other side with this whole purpose where we're actually making a change and doing things. So that's really awesome that you did find your purpose and, and also that you're helping people because diversity is always a huge thing in the workplace. I mean, we've been talking about this for a hundred years now and it's like, when is it going to stop? That's why I think there's such an emergence of entrepreneurs and people that are doing things on their own, because I think, especially the newer generations, they're like, we're not putting up with that. You know, our parents paved the way and 
screw that. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to start our own company. So that's really good that you are helping, especially those established companies, the bigger companies, because sometimes they get just used to their daily routines. They don't even identify those problems. And a lot of times they're not the ones that are working in the bottom part where those types of things happen. I think that that really plays a huge role in mental health. And I've kind of had a few shows before about mental health awareness and different topics, depression, anxiety. We've had a couple of guests about mental health and it always comes back to that. It's not necessarily that we all have bad days, but the things that put us in those states of depression or the prolonged periods and going to jobs that we hate or going to jobs where we feel that there are these behaviors that are being reciprocated when we do something positive and it's not being accepted or we're getting, you know, whatever, whatever the term is that you want to use to describe whatever's going on in your workplace, that's making you feel like you hate going there every day or you feel uncomfortable. But at this point with the prices of everything, you're being a lot more tolerable for certain things because who wants to not have a job when gas is so expensive and shoot, everything is so expensive yeah. now. I love that. And I, I'm really happy that that is your perspective on things and that you can bring us that expertise because I really think whenever we're talking about our whole minority mental health awareness show, those things can really play a huge role in, in giving us some insight. So thank you so much for that and sharing your story. No problem. So the first thing I did was, of course, anytime I cover any type of awareness topic or anything that has to do with just anything, period. I always try to come up with some numbers. I come up with some some information because I want to know, is this something that really is affecting us? Is this even worth talking a whole show about? <laughs> so I did look up a couple of different things and we're going to talk about it, but I went on the National Institute of Health, NIH. And so they, they do have numerous articles about how African-Americans and Latinos are more likely to be at risk for depression than Caucasians. I I think that we, when we're talking about the depression and anxiety, I think that it's important to know that there is a higher risk in minority population, which is why we actually have minority mental health awareness. So as I was looking up some of those things, it was talking about why there is this huge disparity in the minority communities with depression. And I was actually very interested in some of the things that they were talking about. And like you just said, social and economic inequalities, which is exactly what you were talking about. And then also the way that stress and depression are treated in minority communities are completely different. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Beyond the Fit. And I think we have talked about that before. I had a, a man that was on, his name was Kevin Detner, and he's actually a male mental health advocate. And that was one of the things he talked about was how men or not being allowed to express their feelings. And I think that what you were saying about the economic and the workplace and the depression, those are some, some huge factors too. So going along with your mental health 
coaching and your advocacy, do you find that those are some of the risk factors that you are seeing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we can see that with the pandemic. I mean, prior to COVID, African-Americans and Hispanics were already predisposed to higher rates of depression. And reason being is, you know, lack of access to health care. And when you think about it, a lot of us are uninsured. And so in order to see a therapist, unless you're paying out of pocket, and let me tell you, it's not cheap. <laughs> I know when I went, I think I was paying $200 Procession. And if you are on a limited income, that's a lot of money. And so not only do you have the therapy sessions, but if you need to be prescribed medication and you don't have insurance, that's another fee. If you live in an urban area, sometimes you just can't afford to take the day off from work not get paid and to go to the doctor's office. And then you have uh, health inequities. There's numerous studies that say that diabetes, high blood pressure, any health ailments increases your propensity to develop depression and anxiety. So, I mean, from the start, the numbers are already stacked against us, unfortunately. Actually, I have that I was going to talk about at the end of the show, because I always want to make sure anytime we identify a problem that we also have some types of solutions or recommendations as well. So that was one of the things that I actually had as a topic to talk about was the lack of access for healthcare and mental health care. And, you know, there's clinics everywhere if you just need to go get urgent care or whatever, but there's not necessarily that for mental health. So if you have some type of acute mental health condition, if you all of a sudden you just feel like you're going through a period, you know, like you said, you had a death, how do I deal with that? Like that lack of resources are not there. And that's kind of when I was reading about those risk factors, that was one of the things that they said. I'll actually quote, it says, recent studies show that among African-Americans, those with socioeconomic stress are less likely to report the symptoms and also to be compliant with the treatment. So that's exactly what you just said. It's like, we're not finding mental health care. And then not only that, but the treatment, because I, and you know, Kim is a nurse also, as well as I am. So I know, even though I don't do bedside, we've all served our time in the trenches and you know, we've been there. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had to do patient teaching where I said, listen, there is a certain period of time before this becomes a therapeutic dose. You're not going to take it today and it will do something like an antibiotic. That is not the way that these medications to treat mental health, depression, anxiety, whatever, like these are going to be things that you have to take for a period of time. And a lot of people are like, okay, well, look, I didn't gave this 21 days and this ish is not working now. Like I'm still depressed. <laughs> it's supposed to accompany therapy and other things like that. Do you feel that that is something that you have also had to talk to people about and explain to them about the treatment part of it? I, I do. You know, on average, it could take up to six months before you start to see a change with your medication. And nobody got time for that. Like, I don't want to have to wait six months before I start feeling better. And then it becomes the idea that it's not working. 
So why continue the regimen? Or I can't afford to, you know, pay for something for six months in order to see the results. And then also you have the stigma of mental health in the Black community, you know? Support is huge. And if I can't talk to my network about what I'm going through, what I've been diagnosed with, then, you know, the lack of support is uh, going to cause me to fall off the wagon, so to speak, and, you know, not get the support and the care that I need. So those are all factors when we talk about treatment for mental health. Yeah. And I, I think also I, I wanted to piggyback on something that you just said, because it reminded me when I was doing a show, I can't remember what the topic was, but I was doing an episode and I was talking about the disparities with the minority population and the minority community was affected so much is because they get treatment later and they have symptoms for a long time before they actually seek treatment. And I think that because mental health awareness is talked about in other communities, I know I have half of my family is white. So I know that it's just loosely termed like you need therapy. You need to go see a therapist. You need to go. It's just so talked about. <laughs> something ain't right go fix it so you know I think that the problem is is that we as minorities are also dealing with these these stresses that we think are just part of surviving we we saw parents or grandparents dealing with these things and now we're like hey I support a life you suck it up and you move on you get up and you go to a job that you hate and and it's like until you're basically completely empty that you are now seeking out treatment and you've been like you've had major depressive disorder for like 20 years now mm -hmm. and didn't even know about it so by the time you get the treatment you're so low it's going to take so long just for you to come out of this dark place to even have some type of reprieve from how you're feeling I think that you know that's a point that we also have to reiterate that get treatment earlier as well. And that's anything, even, even with medical stuff. So that's a great point too. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like we've normalized the struggle because we're so used to our mothers and our grandmothers, you know, having to be strong and, you know, do everything and be everything to everyone. And, you know, that's one of my missions is to, you know, help women of color see that, hey, you don't have to be the strong Black woman. You don't have to hold the weight of the world on your shoulders. Like, it's okay to be vulnerable and say you need help when you need it. Everyone else around you can see that you need the help, <laughs> you know, and it's okay not to be okay. Exactly, exactly. Like, and, I, and I've seen so many things now just in, in the last I don't know, maybe the last two years or something. And I think it's so funny because I see a lot of things on social media and they're like, quit making the struggle seem like it's a part of your daily life. Quit glorifying the struggle. You should not be struggling. You should not be miserable. That is not a normal <laughs> behavior. And we're kind of just like, this is what I have to do. I have to, you know, this is just part of it. And it's like, it's not. The struggle should not be that bad to where you don't want to. Like I said on mental health shows before, I always say that stress is normal. You're going to deal with stress. It's the prolonged stress that leads you into these spirals. So, and learning how to deal with those things. So I think that's a great, great point too, because <laughs> we are not glorifying the struggle anymore. Exactly. Also, I wanted to bring this up too, as we talked about the economic status and the bearing that that had, I thought that it was interesting when I was reading about poverty and mental health. And one of the things, as we said, with the socioeconomic status, but 
for anyone that's listening, that's like, I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> so what, whenever you're reading like these evidence-based articles, these, you know, medical journals, things like that, it's really wordy. A lot of times you may not understand what, what's being said, but basically they're saying when, when they're looking at these statistics, they're saying that living in a poor or low income household is a common occurrence. And that is an effect that people have the being poverty. And you may not think that your poverty level, you may think that you're just living paycheck to paycheck, but when you're actually looking at the number breakdown, we all spoke, okay? Like we all got, uh, <laughs> like we, we, we all have struggles going on. So, you know, I think that that's important to deal with as well. So again, poverty has a huge effect on all of us and the struggles that we're dealing with. So whenever you're talking about being diverse and you're talking about being the diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, do you have any of that? Do you ever deal with anyone that maybe has something going on at a home life that they feel like that is impacting also what's going on at work? We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Beyond the Fit. Yes, at the end of the day, we are humans. And, you know, the same Holly that's at home is the same Holly that's at work. And depending on the situation, it might be a little bit more difficult to turn it off and put your nurse hat on or your professor hat on, right? And so having employee resource groups at the job um, are great resources for employees to come together and share and discuss what's happening in their personal life that may be impacting their performance at work. Uh, also, when I do consulting, I advise organizations to look at your EAP programs. Do you have therapists that are a representation of your workforce? A lot of times when people seek out therapists, they want someone that looks like them, right? Because there is that connection. Um, they may know what the struggle is or they can, you know, relate a little bit better to what's going on. So absolutely, employers need to be cognizant that your people have lives. And especially during the pandemic, now their lives might have been totally turned upside down. And so you need to be, you know, give them grace, be cognizant that things are hard and offer resources to support your people. And, you know, I, I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I live in Texas and there's a huge Hispanic population here in Texas. Obviously, we're very close to Mexico. I probably have a ton of people that I know that I see every day that are Mexican or some type of Hispanic heritage. And I think that there is a ton of support and I also work for an insurance company and I work with, with the state side. So I see tons of resources for Spanish speaking. I'm not saying that there's not a, a, a need for it, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's a huge support group for anyone that is Spanish as their primary language for Hispanic population. I do feel like there is a culture of sticking together that I feel like always I bring it up with you know talking about the black community that there's just not that same inclusion and and it it makes me upset especially even for this with mental health awareness that's why I love when I see that there are you know black 
mental health advocates because it's so important and also not only the advocates but the therapists and whatever is going on because i see it on a daily basis i see if i call someone and they're like i don't speak english i need to talk to someone in spanish i have that resource for them if they want something uh, you know they're like well no i can't deal with that spanish is my primary language i have a whole resource book of providers that I can give you that speak Spanish that can help you with your situation, whatever it is, Spanish speaking doctors, Spanish speaking therapists. And I just feel like there's such this gap when we're talking about the black community, because one, we've said it numerous times, there's not the stick together that other communities have. So I think that it's really important for us to have these kind of topics. And then, like you said, just being a mental advocate and then also saying, what's the representation that we have here? Like, hey, we're looking at your staff. We're looking at your therapists. We're looking at, you know, we're trying to be diverse here and inclusive, but you guys ain't doing what you need to do on the top line to make my job easier. Because when I go in and I see everyone that looks exactly the same, how am I supposed to be telling your employees or anyone that, Hey, we're here for you, but the resources I'm giving you are not even diverse. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Social stigma and limited mental health awareness. I kind of looked that up as well because I know, like we said, not everyone wants to admit that they are getting therapy whenever they do, or they're not admitting that they are having some type of mental health something. I mean, it could even be anger management. It could be grief counseling. When we're saying mental health or therapy, it doesn't have to be that you're going in for depression or you're going in for something that's going on in your life. It could just be that you have some anger issues and your road rage is like on (laughs) level 10 and you're about to kill someone. So you might need an anger management class or someone passed away and you cannot get yourself out of this dark place because of that. So you need to learn how to properly grieve. So I was looking up, you know, that how it works and the social stigma. And that's one of the key things that they were talking about is that no one, one wants to admit that they need some help because they're worried about what people would think about them. And two, this is what it actually says. 21% of people said that they did end up accessing mental health care, but lied about having visited a mental health clinic. So I'm like, okay, so even now, whenever people are identifying a problem, now they're lying and saying that they got help. So we can like, where does it, I don't, I don't even understand. Like, so the stigma is, I don't want anyone to know that I got help, but now if people think I'm crazy or people think I have something going on, because of course, crazy, I'm saying loosely as a fun term, obviously mental health is not mean you're crazy, but now people think I and identify I need mental health. And now I lie about getting mental health. So <laughs> what's your opinion on that? I think one instance from education, because again, this studies reveals that there's still, you know, stigma around mental health. I don't know why you would lie about getting the treatment. I don't know. But I think education, you know, just getting people to understand that, you know, listen, there's nothing wrong with having 
mental health issues. So for example, if I break my arm, you can, you'll know, I'll come to work with a cast on and I need time for my arm to heal. But when we talk about mental health, we can't see emotions. We can't see thoughts and feelings. And so it's easier to cover up what's going on. But, you know, people have to understand that your brain is just like any other organ in the body. And it has a tendency you know, to need a little bit of extra TLC. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's all types of chemicals and hormones floating around up there, right? And so if there is an imbalance due to something that's happening in your life, or, you know, there might be a recent trigger, it's okay to get the support that you need and to be honest about it, but be honest with the right people. And I think that's the thing, you know, people are afraid to confess because, you know, people can be insensitive. We have a way of saying things that may be hurtful, or we might be afraid that we might not get the support that we need to heal. And so it's a lot easier to disclose that information to friends and family. But I firmly believe that if we educate our community about what mental health really is, we'll start to see more people becoming more comfortable uh, with talking about it. Good points. Good points. I, I love that. I love that perspective as well. Now, we kind of have identified the problem. We've talked about some of the things that offset from the problem. And now let's talk about some solutions to the problem. So I know that one of your things that you like to encourage people to do is journaling. And I, I necessarily am not a write pen and paper person, but I am a huge notes person. Like my Apple notes... <laughs> I am not a writer, but boy, I will dictate some thoughts and notes really quick. Same thing, I guess, with that aspect of, of journaling. So tell us about why you kind of push journaling and what are the, I guess, basically the good products from doing the journaling. So journaling is so therapeutic and I don't care how you do it. Like Holly said, you can, you know, dictate your thoughts or write it down, right? Or type it up <laughs> on a Word document. But what that does, number one, um, times are tough. You know, everyone is stressed out or burned out or going through something right now. And so it may be difficult to find someone that you can lean into without them feeling like, you know, you're using them as a soundboard. And so journaling is kind of like your own little personal therapy session. And so it allows you to get those thoughts out of your head and transcribe it down so you can actually see what you're thinking. Because a lot of times what we think isn't really logical. And so I'll give you a perfect example. We may think something or we may think something is a situation but once we get it out of our heads and read it out loud, we start to say, you know what, this really doesn't make sense. Or do I have any evidence to support what I'm thinking? And then from that, you can actually write down solutions or how you think you should handle the situation. And then what I love about journaling is that if you do it daily, just take 15, 20 minutes every morning, wake up. Journal how you're feeling. How are you going to approach your day? How do you want the day to end? Over time, you have a record of your life and you can actually see the growth and transformation and how you're able to solve problems a lot easier because you've written your thoughts down on paper. Another great thing about journaling is manifestation. So I've been able to manifest things just from writing it down. So perfect example about a year ago, I had some goals that I wanted to meet in my business and I wrote it down. 
And recently I went back and started reading through my journal and every single thing, well, not every single thing, I'd say maybe 70% of what I wrote down is happening or, you know, I'm seeing clues that is confirmation that it's happening. And so you can actually manifest your goals and dreams through journaling. So it's super powerful. And so that's one tip that you could use for uh, mental health. If you're not comfortable going to a therapist or if you don't feel like you have a strong support circle that you can lean into. And I was actually going to say that's so funny because I wrote a book called Day One, A Guide to Organizing and Executing Your Goals. And I do have a whole chapter in there about manifestation. And I will, I am. And speaking that life into yourself positively positively. Like people think that that's kind of corny or, you know, like that's stupid or whatever. But honestly, what you speak into yourself can manifest into something that it may not be specifically what you're saying. Like I am a gazillionaire today. Like, okay, so I probably won't wake up a gazillionaire, but what am I doing to put myself on that path? So I love that you did bring about, bring up that about writing down the manifestations. Like journaling just doesn't mean that. And I also like that you mentioned that it gives you a way to identify where you can read back and say, okay, I was in a bad place here, or is this how I really thought? Did I think this was logical? I like that you mentioned that as well when we're talking about the importance of journaling and documenting. And also, if you think that forever, there's always been a diary. Like every movie from 19, you know, 1600s, whatever, there's always someone found grandma's diary where she put her thoughts in it or whatever. So journaling has been around for a long time. Like a lot of people have written secrets and other things like that. Or, or whatever. So this is not something new. This is just, we're calling it jour- journaling now, but this has been going on for a long time. And people have identified this as a way of having someone to talk to, being able to be open and transparent and honest about things that are going on, being able to talk to a piece of paper, or like we said, dictating notes or whatever, being able to verbalize that, whether it be the thoughts going from pen to paper or talking and saying it and being able to come back and also uh, rereading it and saying, is this still relatable? Have I grown from this? Did I go over this? Have I overcome this obstacle? Is this something that I still need to address? Do I still have these feelings? So great points, Kim. I love that you brought all of that stuff up. And so finally, to close out, uh, again, like I said, we have a problem. I always want to identify the solutions or at least give some recommendations. So one of the things that we were saying even though we kind of talked about diversity and some of the things that are going on in the workplace, because, you know, that's your expertise. We did talk about why minority mental health awareness is so important. And so one of the things that we did offer as a recommendation is journaling. And another thing is, as Kim was saying, whenever she was talking about therapy, when you're paying out of pocket, stuff is very expensive. I looked up some resources to kind of know what you can do, where you can go. And there's tons of things that you can look up and get services from. A lot of places actually have sliding scale payments. So depending on whatever your paycheck stub is or your W-2 or whatever your monthly income is, some of them ask for actual 
documentation. So just be prepared. You know, if you go in and say you don't have money, they may ask for <laughs> proof of do you have money or not. And they do have the sliding scale option at a lot of places. There's different resources like United Way. They also talk about university hospitals, like state, state hospitals, and also schools. If you're looking at colleges as well. So university funded hospitals, universities that have social work programs, they want the students to be able to get this experience and things like that. So a lot of them will also have resources. You may not have actual psychotherapists yet because they are, you know, going through their program, but it could be psychology students, doctorate students, you know, it could be social working students, things like that. I do you know, definitely want to make sure that we're offering resources. Do you know of anything else to recommend for people that are looking for affordable mental health care? So I believe it is the National Mental Health Association. If you go to their website and click on the resources tab, it will list 800 numbers that are free. And you can call in and a license clinical psychologists will be able to support you uh, through whatever you're going through at the moment. Okay, great, great, great resource. There's a lot of options for us. Do not feel like if you're dealing with something that you have to deal with it alone. You can also shoot, send me a DM on Instagram. I, I talk to people all the time, not you guys that are in my DMs, but people that have authentic questions or whatever. Like I talk to people all the time about fitness advice. Someone saw a show, lots of feedback, reach out to people. If you know, you know, sometimes you just need someone that can listen. You might need a different perspective about things. And a lot of people are willing to talk to you. Do not feel like you need to hold everything in. And I think that that's a huge part of why we're doing these kind of shows, because we're letting you know, it's time to break the stigma. It's time to identify these issues and it's time to make sure that you're getting treatment. Kim, I know that we talked a lot today about everything that you do and can you just give the listeners a opportunity to reach out to you if there's anyone that's listening or they're like, oh, my job might need this or, oh, I need I need some mental health consulting, <laughs> like whatever it is. So tell us kind of how people can reach you for what the resources are. And I'll also have them in the podcast notes as well. So it'll be clickable links and things like that in there as well. But for anyone who doesn't read the notes and that's driving or whatever, just kind of give them an idea of those things. Yeah. So I'm really active on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, hit me up. It's Kim, K-Y-M, Kim with a Y, Ali. I am also on Facebook. You can friend request me on Facebook. I am on Instagram, but my Instagram is so dry right now. Holly can tell you that. <laughs> like I really don't post that much. Um, and just started a TikTok account. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And then um, my website is www dot kimali.com okay great and like i said i'll have all of that information in there and in the podcast notes or whatever so people can also find the link and i'll also i do post like a little promo in on my instagram and so people can contact you there or whatever stock you want instagram whatever <laughs> um <laughs> 
just kidding you guys we know you don't stalk us um so (laughs) so i always end my shows with something called a life check if you've read my book day one or taken my e-course you know that i have a life check at the end of each chapter and basically it's just to reiterate that you have absorbed anything that was pertinent to your life any facts make sure that you know you're able to take this information and implement it into your life so today's life check we kind of said it numerous times today is that if you identify a problem, it's okay to find help. It's okay to talk about it. We are not dealing with struggling and holding this stuff in anymore. It's okay. If you're in a bad situation, get out. It's okay. You do not have to be loyal to a stressful situation. That is putting your mental health at a risk. So if you're identifying these red flags, make sure that you are figuring out how to get out of that because it's that daily stress that is going to cause you to spiral into this depression or you know whatever else in life that's bad. So health conditions, uh, chronic conditions, also mental health. So make sure you're trying to alleviate that stress, figure out how to deal with the stress or get out of the stressful situation. And then also it's important to share these kind of episodes and information that you're listening to because maybe you aren't affected, but maybe you know someone else that is. Maybe you know someone that is having a rough time right now. Maybe, you know, like I said, we're dealing with this this inflation right now, the recession, everything is super, super high. And a lot of people that were doing well a year or two years ago are struggling financially now. So this is a time to check on our friends, make sure that everyone's okay. Are we all doing okay? And make sure that if they're not, you're like, hey, I listened to an episode recently of Beyond the Fit and they said that they have some resources and such and such and check out the hospital and whatever else. So just share that information. Make sure that we all just continue to be going beyond the fit.